Amen. Thank God for the ever, ever presence of our Lord. He did promise to be with us, didn't He? He promised to go with us and uh, never forsake us. We're thankful, grateful. As I said earlier, we try from our end, but very feeble and frail, fractured from our side. But thank God it's all well from His. We're grateful. Again, we're grateful and glad that you're here this morning. Appreciate you being with us in the service. Those that are visiting, good to have you. And uh, trust the Lord will help us to worship. We began this uh, church series two weeks ago. This is part three. We began by looking at our purpose for existence from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which is to glorify God. That is the reason that we are here. And last Sunday morning, we began looking at church membership from several passages. We examined briefly the two uses of the word church in the New Testament by our Lord. In Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 18, 17, that's the first place that the New Testament uh, uses the word. And though the word church came from the lips of our Lord. From there, we looked at a few other selected passages and attempted to define the church as the called-out assembly of God's people. We looked at the underlying Greek word and talked about that as it appears in the Scripture. Basically, we looked at what the church is not, and then we looked at what the church is. The church is not a location, although we identify church gatherings with locations, but we are not a location. Uh, church is not a club. And one of the big ones I mentioned, the church is not a service provider. We are not here just to provide people with services. That's not why we exist. The church is not an entertainment venue. She is not a place where people come who share a common religious preference. That's not what the church is. The local church is the highest authority on earth, instituted by Jesus Christ, to give believers in Christ everything we need in the Christian life and the authority to share the gospel with a lost world. But as we close last Sunday, I left you with this fact, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And the church begins with that fact. If that fact is not embraced and believed, then there is no church. That's from Acts 2.36. Christ is the head of the church. In Ephesians 1.22, Colossians 1.18, He is the church's supreme authority. Matthew 28.18, All power, Jesus said, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. There is in Scripture what we call, for lack of a better term, that universal church, which includes all genuine Christians throughout the ages. Hebrews 12.23 talks about the general assembly and church of the firstborn, Everyone who is born from above, saved by God's grace, is a part of that universal church. But for the purpose of what we are doing here at West Sonora, we've been looking at the local church. And we've been looking not at other local churches, but we are looking at us, at this local body of believers. God has designed the local church to feed. Uh, God has given the local church leadership to lead uh, each of us, we are here to be taught, we are here to worship, 
We are here to be protected by the shepherding of godly leaders, and we are here to exercise our spiritual gifts. Every believer is gifted spiritually by the Lord, and we are here to exercise our spiritual gifts, not to display our talents, our natural abilities. We are here to exercise our spiritual gifts that God has given unto us. Uh, most of all, we are here to love Him and to love each other and to serve and honor Him. If you will, I want you to take your copy of God's Word. I mentioned last Sunday that this morning we will be taking an aerial view of the book of Acts. And again, I'm not preaching and just a specific expositional message throughout the month of August. We may go a little further as the Lord leads, but uh, I'm just speaking from my heart as your shepherd to you about church and then about church membership. Last Sunday I mentioned that church membership is not a big deal to some professing Christians. There are some who actually say that it doesn't exist in the Bible. But of course, we will see in a moment, as we already did last week, but we'll see again in a moment how it does. There are people who believe a profession of faith as a child, followed up by baptism, followed up by joining a church, uh, is sufficient. That's all that they need. And I cannot speak and would not attempt to speak firsthand for other churches, but I can speak firsthand for West Lenore Baptist Church, which is actually all I have the authority to speak about, and say when you have almost twice as many people on the church roll who do not attend as those who do, either those people are not saved or they have no knowledge about what the Bible says about gathering together, or they do know and they refuse to submit to the authority of God's Word. God's ordained the local church to provide the environment where an uncompromising life can flourish for the Lord Jesus Christ. No saint, no professing Christian flourishes when they separate themselves from the body of Christ. When a person is saved, he or she becomes a member of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and they will, if available, unite themselves with a local assembly, as we will see here in the book of Acts. So if our goal here is to glorify God and understand what biblical church membership is, then it's important that we scan across the pages of the New Testament and that we take a look and see who showed up for those gatherings in the first church. Why did they show up? What did they do? Were there leaders or not? Did they have victories? Did they have defeats? How did they deal with sin? Did they give their offerings? Did they send missionaries? What did these early believers do when they gathered together? We must examine that. Their victories, their defeats, their temptations, their trials. The souls that were added. If souls were added, what were they added to? and how these people use their gifts and calling of God to be the church. Now, obviously, I cannot cover all of that this morning, but I do encourage you to read your Bible. If you are interested in knowing how the early church dealt with these things, but again, I understand that we're Baptists, 
And most Baptists are only interested in asking Jesus into their heart when they're about eight or nine, getting baptized, joining the local church, attending or not attending, depending on how they feel, and then they want the preacher to get up and say what a good Christian they were when they die. This Bible is going to chop that stuff to pieces. That is not New Testament Christianity. When there's no other fruit evident of Christianity, then rest assured Christianity is not there. But preacher, I got it wrote in the front of my Bible. You can have it wrote in the back of your Bible. But if there is no desire to be with God's people and no lasting fruit, then there is no conversion. And Lord willing, we'll deal with that on next Sunday morning. The New Testament knows nothing about that kind of Christianity. In fact, that is not Christianity. If you will, take your Bible and turn with me to Acts 2. I want to read these verses. There's about 22 verses. Maybe I'll read a few less. And if you mark your Bible, you may want to mark these. And we're going to look at these verses. Then I want to go back and, and we'll go back and hover over a few of them just to get an idea of what the church is doing in the New Testament, the first church. Now, in our day of uh, technology, most of you know what the drone has become. For some of us older ones, that's, that's not a, something that, that stayed under a bridge and come out and scared people. That's a, something different. But uh, most of us know what a drone is. They're very popular in our day. Uh, and I think you'd be surprised to know that the first drone was actually built in 1933 and uh, was used. There was 15,000 drones used during World War II. That was interesting when I studied that this week. But this, mor this morning, if you can, we're going to take that kind of approach. We're just going to hover over, if you will. We're not going to delve into the text and expound each of these verses. I just want you to see who it is that are gathering, what they are doing. And as we see each of these, ask ourselves, are we exempt from this as Western Lord Baptist Church? Is this something we should be doing? If this is happening to us as it happened to the first church, how should we be handling that? Who is feeding and leading these people? How are people being added to the church? Is there politics involved? Is there religion I think it's very clear we can just hover over these passages and see very clearly from the Word of God. But first of all, I want to read to you each passage in the book of Acts that mentions the church. Acts 2.47 Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In Acts 5, in verse number 11, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Acts seven thirty-eight, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. And that is translated in some translations as gatherings or assemblies. Church is still the best way that personally I think it should be translated, but that's referring to something different than just the local assembly. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. Acts 8, verse number 3, 
As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and committed them to prison. Acts 9, verse number 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. That's one of my favorite references. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Acts eleven twenty two. Then tidings of these things came under the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Acts eleven twenty six. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 12, 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Acts 12, 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and then it lists those. Acts 14, and verse number 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 14, 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. Acts 15, 3. And being brought on their way by the church... They passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. Acts 15, 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all the things that God had done with them. Acts 15, 22, Then pleased it the apostles and elders when the whole, with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Acts 15 and verse number 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Acts 16, 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in daily number. Acts 18, 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. Acts 19, verse number 37. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Acts 20, verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. There it is in Scripture, church and churches. Say, preacher, why did you read all of those verses? Because those verses tell us specifically about the church and the churches. And in many references, it is speaking about local assemblies of believers, the first church at Jerusalem and other believers, and how the church at Jerusalem sent out and how, they, how God worked through that church. 
It also tells us about those that were a part of that church. Now, I, as I mentioned, I don't have time. You say you wasted all your time reading Scripture. If I'd done nothing but read Scripture, I would not have wasted one second of my time. Because it's the only infallible thing that will be said here today is the Word of God. But in Acts 2.1 and Acts 2.5 and Acts 2.9-11, through 11, if you want to go back there, we're going to go back, we're going to circle back and hover over this passage. And as you glance at it there, we are at the church in Jerusalem. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem uh, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. What is happening here is the day of Pentecost. This place is called a house in verse number 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Most likely this was located somewhere near the temple grounds, probably uh, could have been even the upper room. When you look around here, you glance around here, you're seeing Jews from every nation under heaven. They have gathered for the annual Jewish feast of Passover. And all of a sudden, if you read this story, as you hover over this text, Peter preaches in their native language. He preaches about King David who called the recently crucified Jesus in verse 34 of chapter 2 of Acts. He called Him, My Lord. And then Peter gets in their face in Acts 2.36 and he said, I want all of you that are gathered here to know that God hath made that same Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The early church, the church at Jerusalem, that first gathering of God's people here on the day of Pentecost, that first gathering is doing one thing. They are preaching Jesus Christ and they are magnifying Jesus Christ. They are preaching repentance. They are preaching that men are sinners without Jesus Christ. And Peter tells them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them to identify themselves with Jesus through repentance and baptism. We do not identify the church with the church through politics and religion. We identify with the church through repentance and baptism. And anyone who has never repented of unbelief and been baptized, immersed in water after they have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord may have their name on a membership roll, but they are no part of the church of the living God. Acts 1, 15 said, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names to gather were about 120. In other words, a little group, a little less, uh, a group a little less than what's gathered here this morning was that first group that gathered for Pentecost. Uh, you can kind of look around. This is about, that's about what was gathered on that first morning. And then the message was preached. But I want you to understand the first church is saturated with Jesus Christ. Do you know it is possible to go in churches and never hear Him mentioned? 
You, they, you're taught how to, how to be successful, to be, how to be a good gardener. You're taught how to, how to do this and that. You're talked about how to break uh, addictions. You're, talk, you're talked to about how to be financially successful. And Jesus is never mentioned. The church, as we hover over the church at Jerusalem, we hear the sounds, we see the sights of people gathering. And the one who is the center of it all is not Peter. If Peter had been living today, you go out in the vestibule, there'd be t-shirts about Peter's ministry. That's the way it'd be in our culture. But no, this is about Christ and about Him alone. Look with me in verse 42 of Acts 2. In the days following, this group of people settle into an everyday lifestyle. And he records they, in verse 42, refers to the followers of Christ. Already these people are gathering together. You say, is there a formal membership role at this point, preacher? I do not know, but I do know this. They're keeping record. How do you know that? Look at Acts 2.41. There were added, in Acts 2.41, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The word added means to place additionally, to lay beside. You will see that word used repeatedly in the book of Acts. So at our first stop, as we hover over that first local church there in Jerusalem, we see several truths. One, those who follow Christ are at this meeting. No solo living. Number two, God's Word is being fulfilled and preached about following Jesus Christ. Third, those followers of Christ are referred to as the church or the called out assembly of God. Number four, there are leaders already in this church who are exercising their spiritual gifts and calling through the proclamation of the gospel. Number five, the message is clear. It's Jesus Christ and no one else. And it's repentance of sin. It's belief and faith and baptism and identifying with Christ and His church. Number six, the church is counting souls and they are keeping records. They know who they are. Number seven, they settle into an everyday lifestyle of devotion to teaching, hearing the word preached, worship, fellowship, eating together, and praying together. That's in our first stop. That's what the church is doing in the book of Acts. And in all of my ministry, in all of my years, 45 plus years of pastoring, I have never had one Christian that I was their pastor come to me and ask me to do something about getting the church back to Acts 2 and verse number 41 through verse number 47. They've asked me about trips, about programs, about this group, about that group about doing this for the young, about doing this for the old, and all of those things may have their place, but I want you to understand the church as defined in the Word of God, the priority is Jesus Christ, the preaching, the teaching, the gathering, the being here together, not because we're all kin to one another physically, not because we all agree with one another physically, but because we are born of the same womb and we are, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Secondly, let's move on. When you, when you have 15 stops and you've only got to not stop number two, we ain't going to get there, okay? I'm going to have to land and refuel. I can already tell. I knew that going in. I sat at my desk last night. I said, why did you prepare all this? There is no way. I'm going to blame it on the slowness of the drone, okay? That's the issue. Go to Acts 4, verse 1 through 4. So number one, 
We went to the church at Jerusalem. Let's go to Acts 4 and hover over the scene in Acts number 4 and verse 1 through verse number 4. Acts 4, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead, laid hands on them. Now you would think after what, I, what we saw at our first stop, the world would be tickled to have the church here, thrilled to death. Here are people who love Jesus. Here are people who've been baptized. These people are not robbing taverns anymore. These people are not frequenting the house of harlots anymore. These people are paying their taxes. These people are doing right. They're model citizens. You would think they would say, thank God for the gospel. But no, persecution already hits the church. Persecution hits the church. And they don't like this message. Howbeit, verse 4, Acts 4, 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And here we go again. My case for church membership and the number of the men was about 5,000. The church is keeping records. The church is keeping records. This is the Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke, the physician, is the author of this book. And he is keeping records. And they know how many belong to the church. And they know who belongs to the church. And they know these people that are truly followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know that we don't know? Do you know that most of us don't even know who belongs to this church and who doesn't belong to the church? The only thing we got an idea of is who's here visually. And we're not sure about a lot of them. Is Christ glorified in that? They're being persecuted after the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 led the sacrifice of church members. They brought their offerings. In Acts 4, 34 through 37, a notable man by the name of Barnabas brings his offering and sells his, does all these great things. And then we come to Acts 5. We hover over Acts 5. And the first hypocrites and liars show up in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. And they die because of hypocrisy and lying. If you was an usher in the early church, you done more than take up the offering. You carried out the hypocrites and they died because of hypocrisy and lying. But look at Acts 5, 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Two things has basically happened thus far as we hover over this. Two things has happened. The church is born of God and filled with the Spirit of God. The church is given power and the church is preaching Christ and and the church is preaching repentance and baptism and they're keeping a record of those who are following Jesus and they're gathered together. They're gathered together as they teach the Word and preach the Word and they bring their offerings and they break bread together and they evangelize together. That's what's happening. But the second thing that happens is persecution from without. And then comes hypocrisy and deception from within. Over the next weeks and months, more and more will claim to believe the gospel and the Lord will continue to add to His church in spite of the persecution and in spite of hypocrisy. But Acts 5.11 tells us clearly God wants a pure church and, he wants a- and His actions in bringing swift discipline sends a message not only to the church but to everyone. Verse 11, great fear came upon all the church. I hear people say, I wish God would do something. The fear of God would get back 
on our nation again. There's no fear of God going to come on the nation again till the church lives under the fear of God. Judgment begins at the house of God, and whenever God sent out a fear in that day, a reverential awe, it started with God's people. It started with God's people. Are we that way today? Do we have that godly fear? Well, in spite of God's swift judgment and the church making decisions to look after one another, Act 6 comes up. Just hover over there just a moment. Some of the widows were being neglected, and, and so the church came up with a plan there to look after them. Now, most teach that this is where the office of the deacon was established. The office of the deacon was not established in, verse, in chapter 6 of, 6 of Acts. You'll only find the office of the deacon mentioned over in Paul's epistle. But these men were similar. They were selected for a one-time thing of looking after those widows. And then when they got that done, they were no more. But they were servants, and the church got that issue settled. The church got the widows taken care of so the preachers and the apostles could stay with the Word of God. But then after that, Stephen, a great leader in the church in Acts 6, 11, down through chapter 7, verse 54, he is charged with blasphemy. you got persecution again, stoned to death. It looks like the chief priests have a membership role. If you look at Acts chapter 8, here's another case for church membership. Acts chapter 8, verse number 3, Saul of Tarsus, and for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Notice this statement entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Saul of Tarsus knew who the Christians were. He knew where their homes were. How did he know that? They know that because these people identified themselves primarily by gathering together. You know, when we left home this morning, we came here, and by gathering together, we are sending a message to the world that we, and to this community, that we belong to Jesus Christ. And Saul used that as his membership role. I wonder if that guy over there is a Christian. And someone said, that man there gathers with believers when they break bread, when they pray, whenever they're teaching the Word of God. Yes, he is a member. It is a fact. If most Names on our church membership roll were charged today by the district attorney of Caldwell County for being a Christian. I say this, it would be thrown out. There wouldn't be enough evidence to convict. If they were to come to me as their pastor and say, I have 300 names of these people. We want to persecute them for being a Christian. I'd say, I don't know them, never seen them. Nobody else in the church. There's not enough evidence to convict. The early church, there was plenty of evidence to convict. Well, preacher, shouldn't we go in hiding? That's not what we see in the book of Acts. Oh, no, they're not going in hiding. Look at, eight, look at Acts 8, verse 4. Therefore, look at the grace of God. They, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Satan's intention to persecute and silence the gospel, it just like you blowing a dandelion in your yard. It scattered the gospel. Persecution scattered the gospel. And the word of God will reach all across the world. Because these early Christians took gathering together so very, very seriously. God does want a pure church. If your name was on the church roll in Jerusalem, that was your ticket to prison. But... If your name was on the church roll at Jerusalem, you also got a free funeral if you were a liar and a hypocrite. 
That came with the, with the membership. Persecution scattered. Christians flee from Jerusalem into other cities. In Acts 8, 9, and 10, we soon read about disciples showing up in Samaria, Damascus, Lydia, Joppa, and Caesarea. Word is getting around now that Jesus didn't come just to be king for the Jews. He came to save Gentiles in Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 18. I'm kind of running ahead and back and all around. But as you hover all over all these chapters, this is what is happening. You say, preacher, where did you come up with all of this? I found a book. Somebody, somebody recommended a good book to me and I read it. It's, it's, and I think you got a copy of it. It's right there. But again, we're Baptists. We don't read this. We just carry it. Right? I mean, what would my dash feel like if my Bible wasn't laid up there Sunday through Saturday? What would the rear compartment of my car be like? I mean, really? I heard one preacher say one time, some of you ought to put suntan lotion on the cover of your Bible. He said it lays up there in the sun more than anything. And that's about right. These stories are right here. This is, the, this is what the church is. Well, I don't like Western or Baptist Church. We don't have the same this that other churches have. Or I don't like our church. Our church don't do for this the same that other people do. They are not the standard. Neither are you and I. This is the standard. This is the Word of God. That's where we are. And if we exist to glorify God, which we do because He said, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all therefore to the glory of God. If we exist to glorify God, then I think we should find out what it was that glorified God in that first church, and we should continue as best we can to be that kind of people. If not, we should just claim to be what we are and quit claiming to be His. So the church, let me give you this couple more. I'm, I'm very much aware of what time it is. Number three, a notable conversion takes place in the church in Acts chapter number 9. If you want to look down through history, this is... Now, every conversion is precious to God. There were conversions in the 3,000, in the 5,000 added. Every conversion is precious to God. But if you trace the history of the local church, there are notable conversions that appear in the pages of God's Word and also appear throughout church history. Some of the names we know, some we do not know. The Apostle Paul knew them. He, he listed them in his epistles. He would mention certain, certain people that had been saved. And in the book of Romans, at the end of it, he has a whole list, 20-some names of people that were there. Notable conversions in the local church. But boy, when God saved Saul of Tarsus, what a great day that was, who became Paul. Let me... Let me close it with Acts 9.31 because here's the pattern we've seen. Christ instituted His church, declared a promise about His church, if though the gates of hell rage against, they will not prevail against His church. He gave her authority. On the day of Pentecost, those believers, 120 followers of Christ were gathered there and the power of the Holy Spirit came fulfilling the Word of God. And the Lord added to the church. He added to the church. And from Jerusalem, from there, persecution began to scatter them. And they began to get in regions. But their message did not change. Their leaders stayed true to the Word of God. They preached the Word of God. They preached Christ. And then more opposition. 
and persecution. And then hypocrisy came from within the church, but swiftly it was dealt with by God because He wants His church to be pure. And then fear came on God's people and also upon those out in the world. And from there the gospel began to scatter. And then a notable conversion takes place. Saul of Tarsus, who is killing Christians, after Stephen's death, he, he's there witnessing Stephen stoned to death. And he is killing Christians. But then he is converted. That's the pattern. That's what's happening in the church. It's like they couldn't hardly get their breath. They're under such pressure. But look at Acts chapter 9 and verse number 31. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then, after all these things, then, had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. Where did they get that? Look at the verse. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. Our Lord not only gave His church Himself and His Spirit, and not only gave the church sinners such as you and I that are converted by His amazing, marvelous grace, the Lord not only gave His church additions through conversion, our Lord gave His church persecution, He gave her discipline, He gave her fear, but thank God in Acts 9.31, this may seem like a small and insignificant statement, but oh, how precious are these words God's gracious providence intervenes in the midst of all of these miraculous conversions, in the midst of all their beautiful fellowship, in view of all of their ugly hypocrisy, their glorious growth, their pressure and persecution, their flaws and their failure. God gives His church what? Rest. He gives His church peace. Why, preacher? Because we belong to Him. We belong to Him to Him. He takes care of His own. I'm going to send the drone back for refueling. Alright. But I promise you by God's grace it'll be back. Maybe between now and next Sunday you want to go back and just hover over these and see really what you are supposed to be. I had someone call me yesterday and asked me about something that I owned and how it worked. And of course, not wanting to appear to be ignorant or forgetful. And I'm about at that age where you can claim that now. But I told them everything I knew and they thanked me. And I hung up. And I sat there a minute. And I thought, that ain't right. I don't think. Part of what I told him was right, but I don't think that's all right. And so I went in my study, pulled out the bottom drawer of my file cabinet, where every owner's manual, every owner, if, if I own anything that had an owner's manual, it's in that drawer. And I went through it, and I pulled out the owner's manual, and I began to read. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? It really, it really don't matter, because this is about something trivial. But I found several places where I told them wrong. Didn't mean a thing. It ain't that important with the issue at hand. But I did read the manual. 
and I'll make the necessary corrections. This is important. I didn't bleed. I didn't bleed for a set of headphones. Right? Bought them $29.99. Got a 10-year warranty for $230, you know? It, that's, that's nothing. I didn't suffer for that. I that's nothing. This is his church. It's not Rick Seyfried's church. It's not your church. It's not the trustees' church. It doesn't belong to the Southern Baptists or the Independents. It's his church. Did any of them save you? Did any of them bring you out of darkness into light? Did any of them or their influences cause you to be a part? No. This is his. And not only do I plead ignorance this morning, I do plead forgetfulness. And sometimes I plead just, just out just out and right arrogance. I think I could do this a little better than what the early church did. Or I, maybe if we added this to it or tweaked this a little bit, it, it would help. Or I'm not getting the results I need and I feel the pressure of the church saying, you know, this hadn't happened in so long a time. And you think, okay, i got to do something even if it's not right. No, no. We get back to the book. And we do it like Christ said do it. Because it's His. And the glorious thing about this is, this owner's manual, this Word of God is accurate in everything it says about His church. And I just believe this morning with all my heart that if we do it the way He wants it done, I just believe He will be glorified. And when we find places in Scripture where we say, I didn't know that's what should be done, then what do we do? We say, Lord, forgive us. And when we find places where we've done it because that's the way it was handed to us and we thought that was right, we say, Lord, forgive us and help us to do it like you want us want it done. If you go to the book of the Revelation and read the opening chapters of the churches of, of in the book, churches of Asia Minor, if you will read every one of them, there's a common, there's a common theme in everything the Lord said to those churches in those different places. Laodicea, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, all of them. There's a common theme right here. If you do it your way, my candlestick, my presence is not going to be there. And if you haven't done it my way, here it is, repent. That's it. More than anything else, West Lenore Baptist Church must repent. And I must lead the way. And you must follow. Repentance for what? Just in the four places we hovered over this morning ought to bring us to repentance. That means we have a change of mind and change of heart because we have seen truth and we have seen our sin. Father, I thank you this morning for allowing us just to move a little throughout the book of Acts. Lord, you recorded all of this. You pinned all of this down. You made reference to Luke. You told Luke to write these things, and he wrote them, and you breathed upon them. 
And you have preserved this down through the ages. It's your infallible Word. Lord, there's nothing can be added to it or nothing taken away from it. Lord, there's nothing happening in our culture that gives us an excuse not to be a local church like we're reading about in the book of Acts. Nothing, Lord, that the early church did that is out of line today. I ask you this morning to forgive me for what I have overlooked. Forgive me for what I have misinterpreted. Forgive me for what I have failed to do in relation to leading and feeding your church. Lord, forgive me for thinking at times that some things are not that big of a deal. I pray you'd forgive us. I pray you'd forgive this church and work a work of repentance in us. And may we have no standard in front of us. May there be no measuring stick laid down beside this ministry other than the Word of God and what you have told us. May we never compare ourselves with anyone else or any other church. May we only compare ourselves with this Scripture that you've ordained. Thank you for the church at Jerusalem. They were not perfect. The hypocrisy was there. Obviously, there were unconverted people that were a part of that assembly by their profession, but no reality. Thank you for your message to us today that you want your church pure and you act in swift judgment. I pray that West Lenore Baptist Church would again have great fear. We would fear God. We would understand that you are the one that we're to bow in before. But Lord, in the midst of all of this, we're going to need something that you gave the early church. We're going to need your rest. We're going to need your peace. And we're going to need your encouragement. And Lord, on our worst day, I had rather be in here saved and gathered with God's people on our worst day, in our most pathetic moment in history. I'd rather be in here as to be out there with the world on their best day, lost and undone. Lord, as frail and as fractured as we are, it is good to be numbered with the saints. And it is a joy to be safe and secure in Jesus. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. For those whose names are on this church roll who are unsaved, I pray for their salvation. For those whose names are on our church roll that are inconsistent because of their lack of commitment for Christ, I pray for their discipleship. And for those of us who are gathered here this morning, may we love them and pray for them and do all within our power to restore them. For some of us, we will see them when we go home today in just a few moments. Some of us will eat lunch with members of this church who have no desire to be here. Lord, give us the words that we need to say. Others of us work with people. Some of us will see them this week. And others of us may have to pick up a phone or drive down the road to ask these people about their relationship to Christ. Help us to be willing to do that so you can be glorified and you can be honored. Thank you again for your great salvation. Watch over us and help us tonight as we gather back together. I pray for Brother Daniel and his family. You would bless them and the church there they're going to minister to. I pray you would continue to add souls there and help them to be a church that would honor and glorify God. We love you because you first loved us. Now help us, Lord, to go away in peace and rest. And give us encouragement. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.